the podcast of Imago Day Community, where we're convicted to help bring the whole gospel to the whole person, to the whole world. Join us in this Sunday service as we look to the scriptures seeking to be transformed into the image of Christ. Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you. Um, if you have a Bible, turn with me to Isaiah chapter 9. We are, we're in the middle of our Advent season, and so for many of us, Advent is a, it's a really great time at Imago. It's a time where we try to retool Christmas a little bit and uh, spend less and really create a space to worship more at, at this season. And so we talked about hope, how Jesus brings us hope. We talked about how Jesus brings us love, and today we're going to look at at peace. How does the coming of Christ bring us peace? For uh, the last few weeks, we have, I've been, many of you have been journeying with uh, Jordan and Mindy Green. She had cancer, and it, it returned about eight weeks ago. And there's this, been this steady decline. And, and uh, this morning at about 5.20, uh, Mindy went home to be with the Lord. And we'd invite you to keep praying, praying for Jordan, praying for their little daughter, Lana. Mindy was 36 and so full of life and just such a beautiful woman and leaves a huge hole in, in a lot of lives. And... Jordan said that in the last few moments were really beautiful and really peaceful. And, and it's in the midst of moments like this, you know, that you're sitting there going, we're, we're praying for her, the elders are praying for her, and yet cancer seems to win. And when we come into these seasons, many of you are wrestling with all kinds of difficult things. Men, some of you have cancer. Right? Some of you are wrestling with relationships. Some of you are, have lost people or are reminded of losses. And we turn on the news and we see another school shooting. And, 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 then, and then we gather together and go, yay, peace. But it doesn't feel like peace. And, and it feels like it's these moments that we cry out, why, why God? Where are you? Why is the world not the way it's supposed to be. The problem with peace is that we want it. We may not deserve it. We never seem to get it. And there's really two ways that we can go. We either blame God and try to secure our own peace or we trust God and we depend on his peace to pull us through. When we come to this passage in Isaiah 9, uh, it, it happens in a historical context. It happens in a context where the people of Israel uh, are, are gathered together and the king, their king at this time is a king named Ahaz. And there is threats coming. There's a desperate situation that they find themselves in, in that there are threats coming that Jerusalem would be sieged. And Isaiah continually tells the prophet 
to go up and to lead the people to, to speak with God, to be with God, to trust in God. And in chapter 7, verse 9, it says, If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. So the context of this passage is that the prophet defines faith for us. And he defines faith as trusting, being ready to trust the Lord in desperate situations. In this case, it's the threat of war against Jerusalem. But in your case, it may be a variety of things. And what is that desperate situation that the prophecy to Ahaz would be just as accurate to go to you today, right? Stand, if you do not stand firm in your faith, you won't stand at all. What he's saying is essentially that if you try to secure peace on your own, it leads you down this weird road of blame and control that ultimately never works. Or you stand in faith with the Lord. Well, Ahaz doesn't. He doesn't seek the Lord. He doesn't rely on the Lord. He doesn't lead the people to the Lord. And eventually, the punishment is, the judgment from God is that they would be taken into exile. And yet despite their own sort of rebellion and their own rejection of God as their peace, God's judgment ends and he turns it to salvation. And he turns it to salvation that brings with it the promise of peace. Despite the fact that, that Israel had rejected God and sought security in themselves, God still brings them into salvation that promises peace. So here's what it says in verse one. He describes, in the midst of their desperation, he speaks this prophetic promise. Nevertheless, there'll be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy, and they rejoice before you. As people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning and will be fuel to the fire. And so in the midst of their distress, uh, Isaiah prophesies this promise of hope and this promise of peace. That the people who walked in darkness, they'll see a great light. That the nation would be enlarged rather than shrinking and being oppressed. That just in the days of a judge named Gideon, who, who defended Israel with just a few hundred men against the mighty army of Midianites. And the, and the defining characteristic of 
the day of this promise is peace. It's the shattering of the oppressor's rod. It's the breaking of the bar across their shoulders. It's the burning up of blood-stained battle clothes. And that peace is not something that comes from within us. And it wasn't something that could come from within Israel. It was something that had to come from outside of us. It was something that had to come upon them from God. And so the way that the Lord's peace comes to us is through the unique son that he gave us. Look at verse 6. It says, For to us a child is born, and to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. There is this sense that I think for all of us, we want to secure our own peace. The difficulty with being invited to trust God in desperate situations is, is that you have to admit you're not in control of the desperate situation. And whether that's health or finances or loss or even relationships, we have to come to this place of surrender. And, and, and at the heart of surrender is the recognition that you're not God and you are very limited in your abilities to affect and secure your peace. But in that humbling place, and it is a humbling place, because it's an admission that, that you can't prevent, you can't prevent people from dying, you can't prevent uh, relationships from breaking up, you can't uh, prevent tragedy or crisis, so what do you do? And it's in that moment that you surrender to say, I will stand firm in faith that whatever hope or peace there is in this moment of distress has to come from God. And the beauty of the promise of this, this Isaiah's prophecy, the promise of Christmas, is that this is not a God who abandons you to your distress or uh, leaves you to just your crisis and your inability to secure peace, but he is a God who gives you a son. For to you, a child is born. And the uniqueness of the son of God is that he's unique in the way he comes to us. A son is given, a child is born, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. That the one who can bring peace to us is not found among us, but is one who has to be revealed to us and given to us from God. So when Jesus is born into history and comes in a manger, clothed in the frail humanity of a baby, fully God and fully man, and lives a life that is headed to a cross. He's going there for a purpose. And one of the ramifications 
of that purpose is that he secures our peace. That, that through the cross and his death and through the resurrection to the ascension where he sends his spirit, he breaks into this world with a new reign and a reign that, can, that is moving towards a consummation where he will one day announce that there is no more death or mourning or crying or tears or pain, that the old order of things has gone and behold, he is making everything new. And that new creation, that heavenly hope breaks in now and it, it moves from here into fullness. And so we wait in one sense with Israel, but we wait in a very different way because we have experienced the son that was given. We have experienced the child that was born. And so the Lord gives us peace in the uniqueness of his son, unique in his coming, but also unique in his name. Look at verse six. He calls him four different titles. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father and prince of peace. And each one of these names is like the corner of a, a picture frame that, that kind of shows us who this person is, what their character and nature is like. So, wonderful counselor. That, that in a political sense, this would be one who has great wisdom that can help navigate the, the intensity of distress, to know the way forward. But he's a wonderful counselor, and so there's a sense in which his counsel comes with a peaceful end, with a hopeful and beautiful end. In John chapter uh, chapters 14 through 16, Jesus talks about the gift of the Holy Spirit. And he, and he calls this, the Holy Spirit the counselor, the one called to walk alongside that would be given to us. And so the way that God brings us peace through the uniqueness of his son is that the son is this wonderful counselor that helps us navigate our times of distress. But he's also a mighty God, meaning that he has sovereign power, that he has all that he needs to accomplish his will and his purposes. And so there is a hope, not only that he has the wisdom, but he also has the power, and he uses that power in a very particular way, as an everlasting father. Not a God who abandoned you to your distress or to your place where peace is non-existent, but a God who, who says, I will provide, I will protect. I'll hold you in the moments that you don't understand. I'll be here when you kick against me because I'm not going anywhere. You can't unfather me to you, I am an everlasting father. And I'm big enough to hold you in your questions and in your doubt and in your cries. I'm a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, but, but all that comes to you in the sense of this everlasting father. 
And then finally, the Prince of Peace. That the way that his wisdom and that his power and that his fathering comes about is in the way of peace. That his government and his reign and his rule would show up in the way of peace. And if you think about the way that we try to secure peace for us, is almost always at somebody else's expense. Whether that's us saying we are, are, we're going to have peace through military might or peace through controlling somebody else or peace, whatever it is, most of the time it's we have to win and somebody else probably loses in order for us to have peace. But when Jesus comes to reign and to rule, when he breaks in with his kingdom, it is the way of peace. And it shows up so counterintuitively in our own hearts, in our moments of distress, but also in powerful ways that through the people of God, his church, he displays his kingdom in spots within our communities and our world where there hasn't been peace. He brings peace. This unique son gives us peace through his unique name. And then finally, there's the uniqueness of his reign. Verse seven says, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The way that this king reigns is so different, so counterintuitive to the way that kings reign. It says that his government will continue to expand and his peace will continue to expand. That rather than fortifying it for a moment and trying to ward off things and people and oppressors who would jeopardize that peace, it's more organic than that, that it breaks in and then it starts to grow and to expand and that peace can consume the world once and for all. When you are in those moments of distress and you're left with the choice, do I stand in faith or do I secure my own peace? It is amazing how many people have, have told me, and perhaps you've experienced it yourself, that they experience this peace that God is with them, in the distress, in the heartbreak, in the loss, in the grief, that he is there, and there's this peace that Paul talks about, the peace that passes understanding. There's no way that we should feel peace right now, but we do Because this God is here. That his reign is not simply a political peace that he brings. But it's a personal peace. That you stand in. That you hold on to. And and everything screams out that this is an empty space. And a, a desolate space. And a hopeless space. And yet there's this still small voice of the Prince of Peace. It says, I'm with you, and you're okay. 
that I am the wonderful counselor and the mighty God, that I'm an everlasting father to you. And the greatness of his government, there'll be no end. It says he'll reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on forever. Christianity, in one sense, has, has suffered from a sort of uh, fakeness when it comes to pain and suffering. That, that somewhere along the line, we were all supposed to smile and pretend everything was okay. And if you didn't do that, then something was kind of wrong with you. You didn't believe right or you didn't understand it right. But if you just go with the Gospels and the New Testament, you see that Christianity at its core addresses suffering. At its core, Jesus comes to deal with the sin and the suffering and the brokenness in the world. And that this God who breaks in, this unique son who was given, actually comes in to, to, to march towards a cross where his justice and his righteousness would, would substitute themselves for our sin and our rebellion. And that as he sheds his blood on that cross and he overcomes the grave which is our death, he initiates this new creation. Now, he establishes it through his own death and resurrection. He upholds it as the ascended king who reigns and whose reign will one day fill the world with his peace. And it will be that way forever. But, but we have permission to feel and to name and to, and, and to call pain, pain, and suffering, suffering, and tragedy, tragedy, and horrific things, horrific things. I don't think God's asking us to play pretend with him. I think he wants you to bank all of the weight of your heart on his actual presence and reign in the midst of real, painful things. And that authenticity allows us to step into a place that perhaps we've never known before, but it's a place called peace, secured by God and apprehended by you through faith. And one of the craziest parts about this whole story is that despite the fact that we don't deserve it, and God brings us salvation that promises us this peace. But then he turns and he actually says, now extend it. Now give it away. Now you be the people of peace to the world. And so he ends with this phrase, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. That, that God agrees with you when you feel like the world is not the way it's supposed to be but he is zealous to bring about his peace personally, prophetically, and within the world. 
A few years ago, we began a journey through our Advent Conspiracy offering where we partnered with Pastor Abraham in Cambodia. And that has grown into these just sort of amazing displays of Jesus' reign and Jesus' kingdom. But one of the most compelling is uh, he's planting churches in this area where the Khmer Rouge now live. And it is an an area filled with people and, 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 and children and grandchildren of a group of people who led a genocide. People would say, the modern scientists say that they've located 20,000 mass graves that one and a half million to two million people were killed. 21% of the country was, was murdered. And yet, and so as politically things began to change, what was ever left of these people, they just sort of went to the hills and they were allowed to just live out their days there in abject poverty. But Abraham, compelled by the love of God and the peace of God, is compelled to to go into that place and bring the gospel. And as he does, we get to go with him, to partner with him tangibly through our Advent conspiracy gifts, but also with people and teams that have gone. We helped him start these six churches in this village. No church has ever been there before. When you talk about Jesus, they don't know who Jesus is. They've never heard of him. We've been able to help start schools in clean water. And, and, and there's this beautiful sense that together... We're taking a place that once was so hostile and we're seeing God break in as the Prince of Peace. And if he can break in in this situation, he'll, he'll break in in yours. And so I want you to watch this video. Amazing, right? I, uh, I can now understand um, how Josh feels when he comes back from the tri- these trips um, because what you experience over there is pretty difficult to put to words and explain uh, after experiencing that. And so that's why he's been sending over uh, filmmakers and photographers and, and uh, journalists to try to cover that, to, to bring back videos like this to, to help tell the story the ways that we get to partner together through Advent Conspiracy um, to actually impact lives on a scale that, that's kind of difficult to understand when sitting out there. So I'm so grateful to be able to ha- uh, have the privilege to go and see with my own eyes what God's doing over there. We took a, a, a band. I took a band over there. Uh, the bands that you see up here. Um, one of the bands that I play with up here as a worship band. And so Abraham asked us to come over and as part of two human rights festival, uh, the festivals that were happening over there, one in Phnom Penh uh, outside the city uh, in a place called Andong, which is a slum where he's got a school, another school that he's built that we've been able to partner with him in that. And then another human rights festival up in Odermanche, which is where this school is located. And uh, he asked us to come and he asked us to, to, 
to come with the band and play songs as part of these festivals. Uh, and the songs that he asked us to play were songs that we do here at Imago Day, worship songs. And as he read the lyrics of these songs, he said, these are the songs that I want you to play because they proclaim the truth of Christ. And so, and, they, and, it, and these songs proclaim that clearly. So would you do these songs? And so along with a lot of other local artists and comedians, we went and we played in Andong and where there were a few thousand people uh, that, that were able to hear the gospel. And we had been playing there, uh, going to these, these festivals for the last couple of years. But the, the high point for me was going, to, uh, going up to Odermenche, traveling the eight grueling hours uh, of Southeast Asia roads up through the heart of Cambodia to uh, Odermenche. And when we got there as a band uh, to set up our stuff, we noticed that a crowd began to gather. And on the way there, Abraham had said, listen, you might want to expect that there's going to be probably about 500 people there because this is the first year that the government is actually allowing us to do this human rights festival uh, in Odermenche. And so when we got there, we, we noticed that there's, there's a, a crowd that began to build. We did a sound check. We came back later and there was a sea of 5,000 people waiting to, to, to be a part of what was happening. We couldn't believe it, and neither could Abraham. And so we begin to we begin to we begin to play. And when it when it when it became our time to to get up on stage and play, Abraham came up with us because he was translating between um, each song what I was going to say. And before I even got up there, he said, "Listen, Paul, um, I want you to preach. Uh, I want you to preach strong." Is what he said. And so I said, "Okay, what, what does that look like?" He said, "Between each song, I want you to tell them what these songs are about." We had printed up about a thousand sheets uh, that had these translations of each song that we were going to do, about eight songs. And, uh, and so a thousand didn't, didn't go far. And so as we started, you could see people huddling up around the people that actually had the copies of these, of these translations. And they began to read because they couldn't understand. We were the interna- international band, <laughs> the international entertainment, you know. They couldn't read what we, or hear or understand what we were saying. So they were reading these, these translations. And, and when it came time to sing a song called Prodigal, which Josh Butler wrote and which we do a lot here, it's an amazing song. Before I, I, I did the song, uh, I began to talk about the story of the prodigal son in scripture. And I did it pretty quickly and, and I started to play the song and, and Abraham put his hands on my shoulder and he said, wait, keep, talk, keep, keep talking. And so I said, okay. So I, I kept talking about the story of the prodigal son. And I talked, I elaborated on the grace that the father extends the son to the son. And the love and the peace that he extends. The forgiveness. And, and it, was a, it was a pretty amazing moment of people hearing of that story and, and hearing the truth of this song. And the next song that we sang was How Deep the Father's Love for Us. And I just quickly explained the love that the Father has for us. And I started playing the song. And again, he puts his hand on my shoulder and he says, no, keep talking, keep talking. And he was just saying, preach, preach. And so I started to, I started to preach and, and felt actually this real, this boldness and this, this intensity in, in my preaching as I talked about the love that the, the Father has for us and the sacrifice of his son. And I could hear his voice getting more intense too. And then I said one sentence and that should have probably only taken him about, it taken him about 10 seconds to, 
to translate, but then it, he started talking for like five minutes and it was like, I could tell he just used that as a launching point because those are his people and he knew what they needed to hear. And so he preached and, and we sang the song and as we sang the song, I noticed like way out in the left-hand side to my left, there was this group of people that began to move around and there's one group of people that kind of formed a line and then another group of people they were moving toward. And later I would find out that these were people that were spontaneously responding to the gospel in that moment. People who had never heard of the gospel of Jesus Christ were going to leaders of the churches that they knew existed in that village that Abraham had just planted. Women and men, leaders of the church, and they were going and and asking them, would you tell us about this Jesus that we're hearing in this song and hearing in word? That, that night, we as a band went home and went to the guest house. We waited for Abraham to come back to us. We wanted to hear what had happened. He never showed up. And in the morning, his guys came and got us and, and, and told us to go. And we were going to pick up Abraham at the church. When we got to the church, you could see Abraham's face. It was just like he was on fire. And he, and he proceeded to tell us that he had stayed there all night long praying with all of the pastors of these churches that he had planted and all the elders and the leaders that were there. And they had prayed all night long and they had devised a plan and asked God to give them vision for this plan to follow up with 5,000 people who had just heard the gospel. And so they decided that for in the next week and a half to two weeks, which is now, I just got back four days ago. So they're in the very middle of this follow-up process. They would go around to every single home and follow up and ask the people of these these homes, "Do do you want to know this Jesus? Amazing story. Amazing story. And for me, I feel incredibly privileged to go. I never had that kind of, that kind of experience to go and preach to a people who had never heard of, of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, Today, this Prince of Peace who provided a school where there was once a minefield is now bringing the people who once led the genocide of people, the gift of peace through the faith of Christ. And Jesus is turning that whole place upside down. And he can do that here if he can do that there. He can do that here in your life and in my life in that place where we are longing for peace. And so as we come to this table that's laid out for you, this is a bold statement of the peace that Jesus extends to you and to me. And so as we come, the band's gonna come, we're gonna respond. And as you come, would you come and as you eat the bread and you dip your bread in the wine, would you receive peace? The peace that Jesus extends to an undeserving people because of his love and his grace and because of the work of of Christ on the cross. Would you pray with me? God, we are grateful that you bring peace to us in the midst of this broken world and the fractured places of our lives. And so today we come to this table, which is in fact a bold statement of the sacrifice that was made so that we could have peace even in what feels like minefields in our lives in the midst of our distress. And so we receive peace today because of the work of Christ and we receive the promise of salvation that brings this peace. We thank you 
that as an undeserving people, God, we could come to this table today and receive a peace that only Christ brings. It's in his name we pray and for his glory alone. Amen. We pray that God will use this message to strengthen your faith and draw you into a deeper relationship with himself. If you are interested in hearing other sermons or want more information about the church, please visit our website at www.imagodaycommunity.com.